A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Ahí va a llegar el gol del Arsenal Ophil. Marca Mesut Ophil. Bellerín, otro defensor, otro disparo, Monreal, gol. Marca el futbolista español, marca Nacho Monreal. Pim, pam, pum. This is Arscast Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arscast Extra, as always, with James from Gunnerblog. James, I'm, I feel inclined to say goodly morning, even though it's not necessarily a goodly morning because we lost, but there was some goodliness about yesterday and the performance at Old Trafford. Maybe it was a sense of relief that it didn't go as badly as we thought, but I still think there were some positives. So a kind of goodly morning to you. A goodly-ish morning, maybe. Goodly-ish, I, I, yeah. won- I wonder, is there some bias creeping in here because... You know, you've got a new puppy in your life. And I think when you've got a new puppy in your life, every morning is is pretty goodly. Is that fair to say? Well, it's certainly an experience when you've got to get up with a puppy (laughs) and convince her to go and have a wee and a poo and all those kind of things, which she's taking to very well, I have to say. She's learning very quickly. Um, But yeah, puppies are amazing, aren't they? They're just incredible little uh, bundles of joy and fun and licks and everything else. So it's been an interesting weekend in this house, that's for sure. I bet. Well, maybe it was the puppyish enthusiasm of some of those young Arsenal players that's really got you feeling that it was a little bit goodly. I feel the same. I have no real recriminations about the result, even with a last-minute winner, which is normally the most gutting, the most heart-wrenching mm. of experiences to, to suffer. I uh, Yeah, I feel relatively chilled out about the whole thing. I think it's because there was... I think it's because we feared it being awful and it wasn't awful. Yeah, it's also the, the the overall context of everything though, isn't it? We know what's happening in a few weeks' time. We know the manager is going. We know there's going to be mm. a change. It's, uh, you know, it would be much more frustrating if we were um, not clear about what was going to happen in that regard. And I think we have to look True. at it in that kind of a context as well. As well as the fact that we did actually play pretty well pretty well so uh, there was there were things to enjoy from yesterday you know if you looked at it on face value losing to Manchester United losing to a Jose Mourinho team losing to a Maro and Fellaini header uh, perhaps a David Ospina not mistake per se I don't know that it's a mistake that his arms aren't long enough that's just nature we can't really do anything <laughs> about that at this point but you, are you calling David Ospina's nature's mistake <laughs> nature's greatest mistake David Ospina <laughs> Not quite, but, you know, a goalkeeper with, you know, longer arms who was perhaps taller and more physically built to be a goalkeeper than than Ospina probably would have done better with that goal. But, you know, in the overall grand scheme of things, this was a game that didn't mean a huge amount um, just because of everything that was going on. I think it's easier to focus on the positives uh, because of all that than the negatives, which of, of which there were some, of course. Yeah, I think I felt about it like I would almost about like a pre-season game because it was really, you know, an opportunity to think about this team next season, both in terms of looking at a couple of new players. So mm. you've got new signings like Mavropanos and Aubameyang, but also youngsters, you know, Maitland-Niles, Nelson, 
I, I think the guy, I think Arsene Wenger said himself, the guy who's coming in, whoever the new manager is going to be, will watch that game and think, OK, well, it's going to be an interesting pre-season period. I've got some people here, some talent on the books that mm. I need to have a look at before I make any decisions about transfers. Yeah, I think that's, it is promising to see young players come in and do well. And when you look at the circumstances in which they were asked to perform, you know, everyone kind of thought we were going to get a pounding at Old Trafford because of how weak, and I put that in inverted commas, the team was because of the priority of Thursday night. You know, you hand a debut to a 20-year-old Greek defender who who hasn't even played for the club a minute at Mm. this level, and you put him in away at Old Trafford against Lukaku, who's a big, strong, powerful forward, has scored a lot of goals this season. Alexis Sanchez, you know, these are top quality players. Alongside as well, it's one thing playing a 20-year-old central defender alongside a more experienced player who can guide them through the game, who's got plenty of um, miles on the clock themselves, you know. But it wasn't that case. It was it was with Callum Chambers. And I think uh, as much as we've um, we can be enthused by the the debut of Mavropanos I uh, credit to to Callum Chambers as well who I thought had a very good game yeah I think there's always a slight tendency towards to be biased towards the the newest signing isn't there I think they sometimes get a little bit more adulation than players who've been around a while but this was one of Chambers's best performances for some time I was particularly impressed by him in the air actually which isn't something that I've necessarily noted about him before but he won uh, a lot of battles in there especially when Lukaku was on the pitch and that's that's no mean feat so I thought they both did very well when I saw the team I kind of had you know flashbacks to that FA Cup tie when we I think we lined up with I think it was Grimondi and Stepanovs you know in the and was it Dwight York who scored a hat-trick something like that was that was that a was that not a Premier League game Oh, I think or was you might it? be right. Actually, it was six-one, wasn't it? Six it was one. Premier League. It was six. It was Premier League because they went sixteen points clear uh, after that game. But yeah, I had flashbacks of that kind of nightmare unfolding. But they acquitted themselves really mm. well. And I, and I suppose another thing to say is that in recent weeks, when we've played in the Premier League, the senior players, you've sort of been able to tell maybe that their their heads and their heart weren't quite in it. Uh, but I yeah. felt like that wasn't the case yesterday. I mean, Hector Bellerin's a really good example of someone who, when we've had important games coming up and he's played a lot of football, I felt a little bit like he's maybe taken his foot off the gas in some of these Premier League matches, but not so at Old Trafford. Maybe it's because it's Old Trafford, because of the occasion, because the manager's going. But I thought Bellerin was was really outstanding, actually, and lent a lot of support to those two centre-halves. Yeah, also because he's playing against Alexis Sanchez, a guy he knows well, doesn't want to be True. shown up by a former teammate. And I think as well, perhaps with with Bellerin yesterday, there might have been a sense of seniority on his part because, mm. you know, he is still very young, but he is a first-team regular player and has been for three seasons now. He's firmly established as the first-choice right-back. And with that comes a measure of responsibility. We actually had a little bit of a question on that, which we might just talk about now because um, because we're talking about Hector Bellerin. Uh, where was it? Um, hang on. It's- it makes sense because he, he, he must be he must be the model, mustn't he, for so many of these academy players. As someone who's come through and established himself as a top player, you know, they must really look up to him and maybe he knows that and kind of 
acts accordingly. Yeah, Ollie Tucker, who's at Ollie Tucker 93, asked, around the 50th minute, Bellerin collects the ball, lays it off to Maitland-Niles and audibly instructs him to drive up the pitch. He did, and we scored from that move. Is that a, a sign Bellerin is developing into a real leader in this team? You know, I'm not sure that uh, that's necessarily the case, but definitely there's an, uh, an element of responsibility, and he's taken that responsibility. You know, when you do have young players like Maitland-Niles, who I thought was really good in midfield, he showed some lovely touches, didn't he? Composure, mm. calmness on the ball. He looked to pass it forward if he could. Uh, he's got some nice tricks, some nice body feints. He did his defensive work really well. You know, when we talk about what we need to do this summer, there are players who can add depth to the squad from uh, from the academy. They're not necessarily ready to become first team players as yet. But if, for example, Jack Wilshire goes, I think Maitland Niles can step into the midfield. And if our our transfer funds are as restricted as that fifty million pound war chest story, uh, war chest in inverted commas again as well. Uh, if, if that is accurate or even close to being accurate, we've got money to spend. You know, not a huge amount. Then we are going to have to look to the academy to to uh, to add depth to the squad. And I think a couple of the players yesterday showed they can do that. I think they did, and and I think Sven Mislintat will be open to that idea. I mean, it's telling. I think that we uh, we've got the recruitment guy not from Man City, not from PSG, but from Dortmund, a club who do have to cut their cloth a little bit accordingly, and who do have a history of bringing through young players. And I think that you know that will be a big part of the transfer strategy this summer. We need to supplement the squad, but we can only do it with a handful of players. So how else can we fill out the squad? How else can we fill those spots? Yeah. Where can we save money on the wage bill as well? That's that's another thing that bringing through academy players potentially enables you to do, certainly in the early part of their career. Yeah. So I think that definitely will be a consideration. And Maitland-Niles, who you mentioned then, is somebody who any manager would be, I think, very happy to have. I, I suppose a little bit, he's a little bit like kind of a, almost a Danny Welbeck in that he can play in a lot of different positions. He's a tremendous athlete. But what really I enjoyed about his performance yesterday is we've seen him playing left back, right back, wing back. I enjoyed in central midfield. I had always envisaged him as a more holding player, but he was very adventurous, actually, and played a real box-to-box role, didn't he? He got forward plenty. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Arsene Wenger talked about him being a defensive midfield player, but I think there's more to his game. Definitely there's more mm. to his game than just someone who can break up attacks and, and uh, play it short, etc., etc. There is something to uh, to him on the ball, and we've seen it a few times where he's tried to make things happen. Uh, he worked well with Iwobi a couple of times for example. And yeah, it was very promising. One of the things that we talked about on the podcast over the last number of weeks is when the Premier League campaign became secondary, not simply because of how poor it's been and how far down the table we are and away from qualifying for the Champions League through fourth spot, but because of Europe, what was going to keep it relatively interesting, and I use the word relatively there, is the idea that we could use some young players, throw them out, in Premier League games, which are competitive fixtures, everyone wants to win a Premier League game. United maybe weren't at their most potent yesterday, but, you know, you could see they still wanted to beat us. Um, unfortunately, they did. Uh, but the players that we put out really acquitted themselves well. They didn't look out of place. I thought Reese Nelson, again, it's only his second start. He's being asked to play against someone like Antonio Valencia, who is a real stalwart of the Premier League, very experienced defender, strong, quick. You know, he's good on the ball as well. He's an intelligent player. And I thought Nelson did quite well against him. There was that header he had in the first half, which flashed just wide. So there there are signs there that the, the young players that we have at this club are capable 
capable. And one of the one of the, I suppose, criticisms we've had of Arsene Wenger over the last number of years is the fact that young players, he's good at identifying the ones who look like they can make the breakthrough. It's it's developing them beyond the point where they get into the team and then they sort of hit this wall. They plateau a little bit, don't they? And, and he's never, mm. not never, but it's more rare than we would like for a manager who's so focused on on developing young talent uh, that they've been able to to uh, to step up again i think bellerin perhaps is is showing uh, signs that he's doing that at this moment in time so it'll be interesting to see what kind of a new manager uh, they bring in because i i think Kazida spoke about this didn't he, he spoke about wanting whoever comes in to uphold the traditions of bringing through young players, etc., etc. But if there is a clutch of talent there, it would be a shame not to use it. Um, you know, I like yeah. I like seeing young players come through our academy. And uh, if we can bring two or three in who can be first-team regulars for the next number of years, then that'd be great. I think so. I think that, uh, you know, Arsene's done his job, really. You say he's good at identifying yeah. that talent. Well, he, he's done it. Uh, and it's now going to be the responsibility of someone else to hone that talent and to get it up to the, the requisite level for the Premier League. Uh, and I think, I really hope they do. I really hope that if we, you know, I think we'll let a few players go this summer. It looks like Jack Wilshire might be one, for example, maybe David Ospina. I think there'll be a few names who depart the club and that's likely with any new manager that might be a, a bit of a cull. And I hope some of those squad spots are taken up by these young guys because I don't really see how I don't think they'll do much worse to be honest than some of the senior pros that we've had fill in those positions in recent years and I think that it's it's a great way of us as I said before kind of prioritizing the areas of the squad where we need to spend money and you know developing talent in the other areas I mm. think I think it's an important thing and I think we do have quite an exciting bunch I mean we've talked about Maitland Niles we've talked about Nelson who I agree I thought he looked better actually playing in that role coming off the left-hand side. I thought it suited him. It opened, enabled him to open his body, yeah. come inside, get more involved with the play. But then I thought even Joe Willock, you know, he's someone who I think has impressed this season. And he came on, it was not long on the pitch, but a brilliant tackle that he produced at one yeah. point. Uh, <laughs> as good a tackle as you'll see. I mean, if he'd got it wrong, you would have feared for him a bit. But And then there's Eddie Nketiah too, who was on the bench, didn't get on. So there's a nice little clutch of talent. They're all under long-term contract now, as far as I know. They've all signed extensions this year. Uh, so yeah, hopefully... Hopefully they'll be part of the squad next season. So look, we went 1-0 down when Alexis was free at the back post. Bellerin made an amazing block to deflect the the header onto the post. Mm. Uh, we can thank him for that, for not having Alexis score against us. But unfortunately, he rebounded straight to Pogba, who, who took it away to make it 1-0. We got a little bit pulled apart there, didn't we, for the goal? We did, and I think you know Sky really heavily focused on uh, Granite Shaka's contribution, didn't they, in, in the build-up? And I think, to what? be honest, it was a bit, a, oh, a bit of a wild challenge. It was ridiculous. I have no idea what he what he was doing. I haven't seen someone jump in like that for. I don't know what. I mean, it was Pogba saw it coming a mile off, didn't he, and just stepped inside. It was terrible for you know ten or twenty seconds from Shaka, but I don't know. I I, I didn't watch the soonest thing at halftime. Did you? Oh yeah, I did see it. Yeah, yeah. I mean he, they went. To, it was kind of interesting because the host kind of laid the question up for Thierry Henry. So I think Henry was going to be critical of that part of the play, and Sunes sort of jumped in and absolutely, I mean, tore into Shaka. But I think, 
I actually think Sunes is a, a pretty entertaining pundit. I mean, he's, he's, I think he's quite good at that job, but I think in this instance, he was kind of being a bit reductive and a bit lazy because I think Shaka is a relatively easy target. I think that yeah. unfortunately, when he arrived in Britain, he very swiftly developed a certain reputation. And I think for the most part, people haven't, allowed that to be altered in their mind despite the fact that he's actually been on a very good run of form of like yeah yeah I mean I get criticism of that particular bit but this idea that he had then you have Jamie Redknapp for example coming in uh and talking about well um Jack has had a 40 minutes to forget 45 minutes to forget it's a, you know I didn't see that at all there were a couple of moments as ever with Jack where you go oh he could, could have done better there but generally speaking everything we were doing on the day was going through him you know, he was like our quarterback in a way. He was picking the ball up deep. He was shifting it left. He was shifting it right. You know, the players were looking to him for a bit of guidance on the pitch because of his calmness and assurance on the ball. And he gave us that. And we played quite well in that first half. You know, it wasn't a case that we were overrun. And Jack had played a part in us being able to control the ball when we had it. So it was this idea that, that this cretinous Jamie Redknapp um, uh, opinion is then taken into half time and leapt upon you know there was um, there was no similar if I'm right there was no similar um, outpouring of praise for Xhaka when he when he created the uh, when he created the goal for us for Mkhitaryan it was his hard work it was his um, ability to get to the ball first, not something you would normally associate with him because he's not always the quickest mover. He's a bit like an oil tanker going through midfield uh, at yeah. times. But he got there first, not once, but twice. You know, so uh, it's one thing to criticize a player for doing something uh, wrong and doing something badly, but to build an entire narrative around it and to sort of, I, I think in, in many ways, it's cheating the viewers it's cheating your audience by by insisting this is a thing that's happening when it's actually not by any uh, other measure it's not happening the way you're saying it's happening and i think mm. that's i think that's um it's an unfortunate side effect of of television broadcast because People, I'm not saying people can't think for themselves, but if you hear it over and over again, this player is playing badly. This player is doing this wrong. He's doing that wrong. You know, you come away going, "Wow, that that guy was shit." When in reality, it's not quite what they're saying. I think what happened in this game is sort of a microcosm of what's happened with Shaka on a broader scale. In that they initially set up a narrative for that player within the game, and then they refused to deviate from it. You know, even when he started contributing in a very positive manner, for example, setting up the goal, they stuck to the same old story. And that is basically what's happened with him in his time in England. He arrived, had a bit of a tricky time with referees, had a bit of a tricky time defensively, and subsequently people haven't shifted you know, their analysis of him. Mm. The truth is that he's been very up and down as an Arsenal player. He seems to have this odd trait in the last two seasons... He's come on strong right at the end of the season. You know, when it gets to kind of February, March time, he really finds his feet. And that's what happened last year. He was superb going all the way through to the FA Cup final. And I think this year has largely been the same, actually. Kind of since the turn of the year, he has dramatically improved. If that's just coincidence, we don't know. You know, why is it that it's happening in that way? Maybe it's just that he's adjusting his role gradually as the season goes on. I think that's what's happened this year, mm. that he was playing in a certain way where the team were getting exposed, he was getting exposed. And I wonder if almost of his own accord, he's kind of adapted the way he plays. Yesterday, he took on a lot of responsibility. He was the captain of the team. 
at times he almost dropped in as deep as a central defender. I mean, yeah. when we had the ball with the goalkeeper, with Espina, the two centre-backs were splayed wide, weren't they? They were outside of the penalty box in terms of width and it was Shaka who would come in to help pick up the ball, to start moves, to kick things off. Uh, and I think that to an extent, some of the mistakes he made were maybe a little bit of a consequence of trying to take too much responsibility. For example, not even on the goal, but on the goal, for example, he's charging in, he's thinking, I've got to get there, I've got to do something, I've got to intervene. And on the chance Pogba missed, do you remember there was one on sort of a left-footed shot that he bizarrely cued wide from just inside the box, very clear. I think Shaka gave the ball away in the build-up to that, and then he chased back in and ended up playing him on side. But it was because he was chasing back in, trying to get there, which I think, to be fair, he hasn't done sometimes in the past. And if he did make mistakes in the first half, because I think he... To be honest, he was possibly lucky not to get booked again. He really, really ah, improved in the second. Ah, come on. Do you not think? No. I think he was very lucky. Really? I didn't yeah, think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was yeah. trying to throw his chest at the ball and he got it. He mistimed it. I mean, if Oh, he... not for the handball. Not for the handball. For, uh, ah. for a push. A push. Oh, yeah, that was fine. That's well, a booking. I'm happy to take that as a booking. You know what, though? I can't... I can't um... Uh, tally up the idea that Arsenal are too nice and not cynical enough, and then Jack has been criticised for making a cynical foul. That's a sure, that's, sure, that's sure. a decent foul to make in that. Now, look, uh, you could defend it better, maybe not get bypassed, but it's a it's a foul that maybe you have to make as a central midfielder from time to time. And he was on, I suppose, a tightrope, but I don't think he came close to getting sent off again. And they're talking all the time about how ooh, red card any time now for Granit Xhaka, he could get a red card. He hasn't been sent off this season, as far as I can remember. He has been booked plenty, but you know he's managed his discipline, he's managed his bookings pretty well. And, you know, at the same time, at the same time as Xhaka is getting booked for a fairly innocuous, but okay, a yellow card, Ashley Young is allowed clatter through the back of Henrik Mkhitaryan time and time again. There are at least Mm. three in the first half, at least three, and no booking given for that. So how how do we reconcile those two things? Is it because the rules are being evenly applied? Is it because it's a terrible referee? Or is it because perhaps... It's easy to suggest Arsenal are this without taking into account all the other fucking shit that happens in a game, you know? So I'm, you know, I'm all right with Xhaka, I have to say. I think he's been a good player over the last number of months. He can improve. He can do better. There are things he could definitely improve on in terms of his game. But, you know, he's played most of this season without a regular, regular partner, has he? You know, he's it's been yeah. it's been El Nenny or it's been Ramsey, it's been Maitland Niles yesterday, it's been Jack Wilshire a couple of times. You know, he uh for all you want to criticize him, at least has always been there. He hasn't missed many games through injury. You know, he's uh he's been a constant and or suspension. In or fairness, suspension, yeah, exactly. So, yeah. Exactly. You know, so look they can stick that Xhaka shit up their arse, really, uh, as, as far as I'm concerned. Um, he's, he's he's one of the first players. You know, when people talk about when we get a new manager, <clears throat> what players are you interested to see, how they fare? He's right at the top of that list for yeah, me. Because me too. there's so much that's good about his game. Uh, and you do feel that with the right kind of coaching and maybe the right kind of system, a lot of the flaws could be eradicated. So he's not someone I'd be like, he's not on a list to sell this summer by any means. No. He's on the list that I, I think could really kick on next season, yes. depending on who comes in. I agree. I agree completely with that. Um, so look, I, I don't think we ever looked like winning it, to be honest. We played pretty well, I thought, throughout the second half. I don't think United looked particularly like winning it either until they threw on Fellaini. And that, of course, mm. is 
Uh, it's something we've struggled with. Big guy up front, they're pumping in crosses. Again, for the most part, we did well heading them away. There were a lot of clearances from Chambers and Mavropanos. There was one in particular, I remember Mavropanos heading away at the back post, which I thought was yeah. really encouraging, really committed defending. Um, you know, we read the ball well. We thought they'd scored when Fellaini headed onto the post. It came in off Rashford and uh, he was given offside. Then they did score. Um, yeah, goalkeeper. I think a top goalkeeper saves that. That's my just my the only other thing I have left to say um, about that goal. Yeah, I've watched it quite a few times now and it's it's not a particularly powerful header and it's not that far away from him. I do think the angle of his dive is a bit odd, Ospina. I mean, Arsimega said after the game he felt Ospina was still suffering from the injury he, he customarily picked up. <laughs> but but it, is it, I wonder, is this one an actual injury? Because he was down for a while. It feels they, like it might be, They, yeah. they sent Petr Cech to warm up, and then all of a sudden, while Ospina was still getting treatment, they sent Joe Willock on. It was like, what? What are you doing? Maybe he is yeah. actually hurt, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I'm suspicious. I think, I think it's like the boy who cries wolf, isn't it? I think they've seen <laughs> yeah. Ospina go down so often. They sort of assume it's nothing. But the way... He dived. I mean, I do wonder if maybe he is carrying injury. I, I sort of secretly hope that he is a little bit because it gives Arsene Wenger a potential do you, potential out. Do you read anything into the fact that Ospina played yesterday and Petr Cech was on the bench? Does that so signify my, anything to you? My initial interpretation of that was Ospina is the Europa League goalkeeper, so he's being given a run of games in order to kind of boost his confidence. That was my initial thought, but... After the game, I'm I'm hoping it was something else. What about you? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. With Arsene Wenger, you just you just can't tell, can you? Because it makes logical sense to use Petr Cech. But look, I don't think the 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 gap between our two goalkeepers is quite as big as it should be, or it once was. Maybe when it comes to to reputation, Cech has made mistakes, but that kind of a soft goal is one we've seen Ospina concede a lot of times, where you go. His dive wasn't great. His arms weren't long enough. If he was six foot four instead of five foot eleven or six foot whatever he is, maybe he would have saved that. And I think that's true of a lot of the goals that he's conceded. I mean, I can't help but think back to the FA Cup final last May, when I'm not saying he chucked it in against uh, Chelsea and Costa scored, but. You know, he should have done better. He should have saved that. A goalkeeper, a top goalkeeper at a top club should save that. You know, you ask yourself, would David De Gea, David De Gea save it? Would De Gea have saved the Fellaini header? Would Oblak have saved the De Gea or the, the Fellaini header? Yes, I think he would. So yeah. I'm I'm anxious, you know, about David Ospina on, on Thursday because as well as he played in terms of his footwork and distribution against Atletico Madrid last week, he didn't have a lot to do because 75% of the game was played in the in the Atletico half. He did make a good save. Again, it was straight at him from Griezmann in the first half, but it was a good save. I'm not taking that away from him. I just feel like the potential for him to chuck one in or stand behind his line or do something that... <laughs> nobody can explain is is higher than it is with Petr Cech. That's all. Yeah, I think that's fair enough. And I think it's also fair enough to expect that more might be asked of him this Thursday than was last Thursday. Yes. Uh, I think if we're going to qualify, he's going to have to make 
quite a few saves out there. So, mm. I, I yeah, I mean, look, it looks like he might have a little injury. Maybe that will make up Arsene's mind for him. But I do think if he watches that Fellaini go back, I don't think he'll be too impressed with a speed run. No, no. And look, it's disappointing always to uh, to lose a game and to lose a game in injury time. I can't say when the goal went in, I was particularly heartbroken or gutted or anything like that, though I did feel like we deserved... We deserved a draw. We deserved a point from that game. We didn't get yeah. one. It's our sixth consecutive away defeat in the league. Our worst record since January 1966. Uh, we've got to give a shout out to uh, Orbino on Twitter for that particular stat. Wow. And, you know, that's why things are changing this summer. That's part of why things are changing this summer. That that mm. that away record, the inability to close out a game at one one, where you should at least be able to take a point, you know, th- those are all part of the big picture. So, for me, it was disappointment for the young players who I felt really deserved something from the game because of how committed they were, how hard they worked, uh, how good they were. You know, we we weren't just hanging on. You know, it wasn't a case that we were being bombarded and absolutely battered and somehow the score was 1-1. I think the score was fairly 1-1 until the end. So my disappointment is for them, really, uh, because, uh, you know, everything is really built around Thursday now. Yeah, a, a lot of disappointment for those young players who I think deserved sort of the badge of getting a point at Old Trafford and a little bit of disappointment for Arsene just because, you know, I would have liked to have seen him not lose to Jose Mourinho on that occasion. Mm. but. There you go. I guess I suppose there's something painfully fitting about it. But it is all about Thursday now. Um, how are you feeling? Are you feeling any more up about it than you, we, you yeah. were on Friday? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I am, actually. Yeah, you, you believe again. I'm, I'm on. I'm on for it. Like, yes. I'm, I'm going to Madrid on Wednesday. I'm up for it. I, you know, it's 1-1. We made a bollocks of last week. There's no question about that. But 1-1, it's a cup game. It's a semi-final. Who knows what the fuck will happen? You know, I'm not necessarily confident, James. Don't mm. don't don't think that I'm. This is confidence. I quote you. Yeah, sure, sure. It's not confidence, but I'm up <laughs> for it. I'm excited to see what happens, and and maybe we can pull off a really famous result. There's this thing in my mind, isn't there, where Arsene Wenger's last game as Arsenal manager could be a European final against Marseille. The club with which he's had such history down the years uh, because of the match fixing that went on when he was a manager of Monaco. If you don't know the story, you can look it up. It's online. You'll find out, you know, Arsene Wenger's always felt very um, like his Monaco team. Aggrieved is a great word. Like his Monaco team did not win as much as they should have won because of what was going on at Marseille. So you can imagine his final game in France, in Lyon, against Marseille in a European final and to do them over and lift the cup and, uh, you know, that will be an amazing thing. So all those kind of things and just the fact that it is a semi-final have got me well and truly up for this game um, without always being uh, hugely uh, confident that we're going to do it, you know? Yeah. I tell you what arrived yesterday. I've actually got it in my hand right now. It's on my desk. Is my Europa League final ticket that I uh, got in the UEFA ballot. Ooh. Tantalizing. It's a very tantalizing object sat on my desk in front of me. I I do believe again. I was very uh, down on Friday because I think I, you know, as we talked about, I sensed a really missed opportunity. But that doesn't mean the opportunity to qualify is gone. And 
we've just got to win one game of football and we're in the final. Yeah, 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 exactly. So look, you know, if you can't be excited by a finely poised semi-final against good quality opposition away from home, it could be one of those great nights. You know, it could be. It could be a disaster. (laughs) It could be heartbreaking. It could be any number of things, but that's why we love football, right? That's why we're doing it. That's why we're here week in, week out talking about it. It's these things that, you know, really get your passion and get your uh, juices flowing, so to speak. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to this one. Yeah, and also when you book to go to Madrid, when you decide you're going to go to that mm. game, all the fans who are going over for that, you know, the first priority is, are we in the tie? Is there a game? And there is definitely, definitely a game in Madrid this week. That's exactly it. You know, when I was talking to people about going and talking to people who are going and talking about meeting up and, uh, you know, the the conversation has been the same before before last Thursday. It was, yeah, really looking forward to this. Let's hope we're still in it. And we're still in exactly. it. Exactly, We're still in it. You know, it's it's going to be tough and challenging and difficult and, and everything else, but we are well and truly still in it. We've got a question or, or two on the semi-final, which we'll do in, in part two. Just one thing I want to bring up. Um, last week, I think we talked about Patrick Vieira, remember? And uh, I read out some yeah. quotes on the podcast uh, about that famous summer where he was very unhappy with what was going on at Arsenal. Uh, he gave an interview and the quotes came about, you know, how Arsenal, you know, weren't going to finish in the top six and they weren't in the top 25 clubs in Europe, et cetera, et cetera. Um, this was from uh, an article that was in The Guardian, by the way. It wasn't uh, from a particularly, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, dubious source. Uh, I remember mm. screenshotting it you know, a few years ago. It was in The Guardian. But apparently, Patrick Vieira has said uh, that the interview in which he's quoted was completely false. He never said those things, etc., etc. So I'm happy to just clarify that. Um, if he says he didn't say the things, then he didn't say the things. Uh, it doesn't yeah. mean that um, the stuff that went on with him and his desire to leave and go to Real Madrid or go somewhere else, those were definitely true things that happened. You know, those were situations uh, that the club had to deal with summer after summer. But if he says that he didn't say those things, I'm happy to set the record straight in that regard. So I just want to make that uh, point. Okay, that seems fair enough. Yeah, yeah. That seems fair enough. I mean, I still like him. That's the thing. I still really like Patrick Vieira, whether he said them or not. All right, that's fine. I don't think there's anything <laughs> wrong with that either, is there? <laughs> We're all entitled to our opinions, aren't we? But he, listen, yeah, if he said he didn't say, he didn't say him. Shall, uh, shall we have a little uh, break and then come back for part two? Yeah, I better go see if this puppy needs to go for a wee. So uh, I'll do that okay. and we'll come back <laughs> and uh, do part two right after this. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. 
And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Welcome back to the Arscast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer the questions you send to us on Twitter at Arsblog and at Gunnerblog and also on the Arsblog Facebook page, which is facebook.com forward slash the Arsblog. Just a reminder that you can help support what we do here on Arsblog by signing up to be a member on Patreon. Uh, you can go to patreon.com forward slash arsblog. Sign up for five euros a month plus VAT if you're in the EU. Uh, for some reason, they haven't been charging the VAT. I don't quite know what that is. Uh, I'm trying to get to the bottom of it, but you should be charged it. Uh, nevertheless, you can get exclusive content there. We've got a great interview coming up tomorrow uh, with singer-songwriter James Vincent McMorrow, who's a big Arsenal fan, so I sat down with him. Recently, we have a chat for the podcast My Arse. We've got a great history podcast coming up as well next month around the um, almost invincible team of 1990-91, so keep an ear out for that. Also, if you are an Arsblog member on Patreon, you get exclusive access, first access to tickets for Arscast Extras, which might be live. And I suppose we should tell people there is going to be an Arscast Extra live on May 21st in London. So keep an eye out on the site, keep an eye out on Patreon, and listen into the podcast for details of how you can get discounted tickets and also get access to those tickets first. It's all at patreon.com forward slash Arsblog. So there. Could be very interesting, May 21st, that we might have had the Europa League final by then. We might have a new manager by then. You never know. There'll be plenty to talk about at the end of what has been, uh, in many ways, uh, a very eventful season. Uh, and let's hope we can mm. uh, let's hope we can end it in in successful fashion. That would make uh, that would make for a great discussion and make for a, a good night at Union Chapel on May 21st. So put that in your diary and keep an ear out and an eye out for tickets. Uh, we'll we'll announce those over the coming days. James, uh, we have got a question here from Mac Mackie, who's at Mac underscore Mackie. He says, why do you never ask any questions posed on Facebook? Always with the ats. And he asks this on Twitter. (laughs) (laughs) If you can't beat them, join them. We do look at the Facebook. We do look at the Facebook. We do. I think we do do questions from Facebook. We do. Yeah, we do. We do some. It's just that Twitter's easier. It's like there, there's a hashtag. You know, you can yeah. see them all in like one big thing. Yeah, it's just a little bit easier. But maybe we haven't paid enough attention to Facebook. Maybe. Well, I tell you what, I, I'm, I've got a question from Facebook. Let's show the guys on Facebook some love because they can get angry people on Facebook otherwise, can't they? So let's uh, <laughs> let's soothe them. This is a question from not our uh, people, Paddy. just 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 people in general. We should point out. I don't think it? I don't blame the people. I think it's the environment of Facebook that you know does that. It's a very <laughs> stressful place to exist. So. This is from Pradeep Kachala, and Pradeep asks, will our limited transfer budget mean that so-called top managers such as Enrique and Ancelotti might be unwilling to join? Will we have to settle or aim for a manager who can bring on youngsters and work on a limited budget like Jardim instead? Yes, I think that's a that's a possibility. There were stories over the weekend, weren't there, that Luis Enrique wants 
200 million pounds. Good luck, Luis Enrique. <laughs> Good luck to you. Yes, the very, very best of luck to you, because if you can get 200 million pounds out of Arsenal to spend on new players, you are some kind of miracle worker. You should be called Jesus Christ Enrique. I don't know what uh, what he's thinking. Now, look, we know that stories that are in the press have to be taken with a pinch of salt. Whether that's completely accurate or not, we don't know. The idea that he wants 16 million pounds in salary, I think, also might rule him out of the yeah. job, because what happens if you give Enrique a four-year contract at £16 million a year, and after a year he turns out to be a complete bum that everyone hates, you've got to pay him off three years of contract, right? Yeah. So that's three by £16 million, which is, what, £48 million, plus his staff. One of the staff. most expensive deals in the club's history. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> One of the most expensive deals you ever do could be paying off your old manager. So, yeah, I think we've spoken about this before, haven't we, where... The idea of Sven, for example, coming in is that we can do perhaps something along the lines of what Dortmund did when it comes to player recruitment, which is to identify young, talented players with real potential and grow them at the club to the point where they become coveted, where they become uh, highly valuable in the transfer market. And I think that's where we are kind of as a club anyway with our resources when you talk about what United have to spend, when you talk about what Chelsea have to spend, if Abramovich felt like spending, of course, uh, when you talk about what Man City have to spend, we can't do that. So we have to do it a different way. So I Mm. do think that a manager who wants to come in and spend big, big, big money on players is going to find his chances of getting the Arsenal job limited. A manager who is willing to work with Mislintat and Sanyehi, who says, okay, I I like working with not necessarily kids, right? Not We're not talking 17, 18 here. We're talking early 20s. I think that's mm-hmm. where we're talking. Bringing in those kind of players, I'm happy to work with those players to develop them as individuals and within the framework of a team where it's not that expensive to bring them in, where the wages aren't necessarily as high. I really believe that that kind of a manager is perfect for what this Arsenal board want to do and also the situation the club finds itself in at this moment in time, perhaps with relatively limited resources for transfers given that we've spent quite big in recent seasons. We don't have the the huge resources that a, an Enrique or an Ancelotti or, or somebody like that would want to go and cherry pick the very best talent in Europe. So yeah, I I I figure that's a way that we're going to go. I th- you know I really think that's how we're going to go. And I think almost whether or not some of these big managers want the job or not, I think you've got to look at what is their track record of managing without a budget. I think we need someone who has shown that they can you know make the most of the talent that's available to them, and who doesn't necessarily rely on spending power to get success. I, I look, I don't know who that name is. I mean, Jardim is an interesting one, and it's one that keeps coming up. I actually had a dream two nights ago that Leonardo Jardim was the next Arsenal manager. Um, but my mum always says, if you dream it, it doesn't happen. So who knows? Right. Well, that's analysis for you guys. That's the, that's the kind of cutting edge of analysis that people listen to the podcast for, isn't it? What I've dreamt <laughs> might happen. Look, I, I see Jardim certainly as, as somebody who fits that bill. 
you know, with what he's done in Monaco, the players he's brought through there, you know, the talent that he has developed, you know, hasn't always gone great for him, but he's still pretty young. You know, he's only 43 years of age. So in, in managerial terms, that's... Uh, that's uh, very much in the early stages of his career yes, when you yeah. look at Arsene Wenger at 68 and many other managers who go on well into their 60s uh, and gain experience along the way. So he would definitely be a, a candidate. Um, the question is whether or not Arsenal want to add that something a little bit extra to the appointment by bringing home a former player to generate mm. some goodwill. I'm not quite sure. I mean, we don't know what Patrick Vieira uh, can do in that regard. We don't know what his track record is. We don't even know if that's something he would like to do. If Patrick Vieira was offered the job, would he not want to say, I need some serious money because I want to buy a top central midfielder. I want to buy a top center half. I want to buy a top goalkeeper. That may well be, you know, when you're an inexperienced manager, you might want the money as much as an experienced manager does because you see that as a way of, of... uh, perhaps making up for that inexperience. What's the best way of of getting players to play well is by getting good players. You know, is there going to be the patience if a manager like that comes in and needs a season or two to imprint his style and philosophy on the club? That's going to be the interesting thing as well. You know, this idea that when Wenger goes, we're immediately going to become a hugely competitive club again. I don't think is accurate. We are going to have. We are going to be. Uh, rebuilding, not just um, the squad, but the manager. It, it can be, it can be something that takes a club a little while to get right. So, if there are people out there who aren't prepared to give a new manager a bit of time to to work with the players, to work with the club, to develop their own style, etc., etc., it could get a little bit ugly. I hope that people are a bit more patient, though. I hope that they're aware that we are going to need to rebuild. So, for me. Whatever the candidate is or whoever the candidate is, I think they are going to have to work within that structure, aren't they? It's Mislinta, it's Gazidis, it's uh, Sanlieri. They're the ones who are going to make the footballing decisions by and large. The head coach, I think, is what we're going to appoint more than a manager, right? That's what we're going to call him, head coach, I guess. So he's going to work within that framework. He's going to say, I want... A left back, I want a central defender, I want a central midfielder, I want a goalkeeper. Those are the players I want. He may have some input into who they are. He may have some targets, some specific players that he wants to work with. But I think what will happen is that the club will say, okay, we agree, these are the players you want. We'll go get the players from X number of lists. We've got a short list for midfielder, short list for defender, short list for goalkeepers, uh, and uh, we'll get the players we can get, and you're going to have to work with them. Whereas Arsene Wenger, in the past, if he hasn't been able to get the player he really wants, he hasn't got the player. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, look at the most successful signing of this season. It's got to be Mo Salah, hasn't it, at Liverpool? And that is an example of this uh, of this kind of system working effectively. I don't even necessarily think, according to reports anyway, Salah wasn't Klopp's first choice for that position. He wanted a guy called Julian Brandt from Bayer Leverkusen. But the committee at Liverpool, the people who organised the recruitment there, pushed for Salah. And look how it panned out. I do think that, you know, this is the right model for us to adopt at this point. And I think in some ways it absolves whoever comes in as coach of some of that responsibility. It means he's going to be judged purely on what he does in games. You know, he's going to be judged on the results. And I think that kind of taking away some of those other distractions, I think it's probably going to make his job a little bit easier. Yeah. Um, so 
we'll see. I, I've forgotten what the original question was now. It was something about, <laughs> what was it? Uh, oh, the transfer budget. Yeah, Luis Enrique. If he wants 200 million, he's really knocking on the door at the wrong club. <laughs> yeah, he really, really is. And uh, I think that will be uh, welcomed by many who don't necessarily see Luis Enrique as, as the right man. Um, you know, mm. from speaking to people over the last couple of weeks, uh, or last, you know, certainly since Arsene Wenger announced his departure, you know, I, I know some worried Arsenal fans who are, who are, um, yeah, they're, they're not, they're not on board necessarily with, with Luis Enrique. Um, quick question from me before we go on to the next question, which I'll also ask you. I just wanted to get your thoughts on the, the praise. Um, given to Manchester United fans for their applause of Arsene Wenger yesterday when he walked out onto the yeah. pitch. Um, how how did you feel about that, given that the same people who were roundly praising the United fans had pretty much nothing to say when they spent 20 years singing a song about him being a paedophile? Well, uh, you know, it just struck me as a little incongruous. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I actually, in the moment, I think I tweeted something saying, oh, I think that's quite classy of United and Fergie that they sort of gave, you know, that little presentation to Arsene Wenger. And I did see those fans clapping, but it didn't take me very long to think, actually, you know, given the reception that he had there over the years and the appalling way he was treated by some of those fans, uh, I did feel a little uneasy about the whole thing and, and a little uneasy about the sort of outpouring of, of praise for United. I mean... A United mate of mine, um, a United supporting mate of mine is what I meant to say then, tweeted that he said, oh, I didn't clap Arsene yesterday, but I didn't call him a paedophile either during his time. And, <laughs> and I felt like in both instances, that was sort of the right response. And uh, I can respect that. Do you know what I mean? I mean, if someone's someone you don't particularly like, you mm. don't have to be there and give them a big warm send off. But obviously, I think those chants were ap- absolutely reprehensible. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it was it was a, it was odd. I did think it was um, something that was absent from the discussion around it in the media, wasn't it? You yeah. Know, the kind of polarized nature of their reception. For yeah, us you, you know, it's it's not really. You know, I I can I can see why the United fans clapped Wenger onto the pitch because I think underlying it, you know, was a respect for what he's done at Arsenal, for how competitive he made that United-Arsenal rivalry uh, mm. and everything else, right? I can see it and look, it's all's fair in love and war and sport and everything else, right? So I can see that, but it is perhaps the issue isn't so much them as the the media and the way that they're uh, all on board with, oh, how classy, what a great, amazing thing uh, for, for the United fans to do to Arsene Wenger. It's fucking easy to clap someone, you know? Anyone can yeah. fucking clap someone, that's fine. But, you know, it wasn't a small pocket of United fans down the years singing that song. It was the whole stadium at one point. Well, you know, I won't say the whole stadium, but a significant proportion of that stadium was happy to sing a song about him being a paedophile. And beyond a couple of, like, uh, remarks here and there in the press, it was never something that they dealt with properly, I felt, down the years. They paid lip service to it every now and again, but they never properly condemned that chant and that song because it goes without saying, when you sing that about somebody, it's so very, very wrong, right? So, of course, you know, maybe, maybe we shouldn't expect... 
anything different from certain sections of the press. But yeah, that just got, yeah, got, on, mean, my, got on my one, nerves a little bit yesterday. I, yeah. And one thing I can say for sure is that I don't think Arsene Wenger will have particularly enjoyed uh, enjoyed it, really. I mean, mm. he, I don't think he's into that sort of thing. And I don't think he would have enjoyed having to pose for that picture with Jose Mourinho. Well, um, well, well, can we, uh, can we give Arsene Wenger some credit there as well? Because uh, you, we, yeah. know, we know his relationship with Ferguson is uh, better, much, much better than it was. The two, I think, are, are quite uh, quite close um, over the years. Things have softened between them. That's not the case with Jose Mourinho. It isn't. Mm. And I think Wenger was very magnanimous um, on that particular occasion to call Mourinho over and get him into the photograph when, um, you know, he could easily just not have done that because of the way that Mourinho has said things about him down the years. Mourinho made it very personal at times, really did. Mm. And the Wenger-Ferguson uh, thing was pure com- competition, two great managers going head-to-head. And it was kept on that basis, more or less, for the duration of that that rivalry. Whereas Mourinho, when you call somebody a specialist in failure, when you call them a voyeur, you know, these are very loaded remarks to make about somebody as a, you know, as an individual. They're unpleasant. But Wenger uh, rose above that. And I think he deserves credit for it. And, um, you know, he, he didn't want to uh, make a big fuss about the, uh, about the occasion. He included Mourinho, and I think he deserves credit for that because, frankly, uh, if he'd hit Mourinho over the head with a spade, nobody would have said, uh, you know, he was out of order. Yeah, no, I think uh, I think you make a very good point there. Um, is it, your, is, it is. Do you I have another question. I have another question here. It's about oh, Thursday, and Jordan Jarrett Bryan, who's at underscore Jordan J Bryan, wants to know. What's the best approach for Thursday? Fast and try and get an early goal or patient and keep it goalless for 60 minutes? Yeah, I think I had this question lined up as well because it's uh, it's a tricky one. I mean, I the problem with the patience thing is that it, it, I said I think I said on Friday that I think that's what I would do. But then when I look at our team, I just don't know how capable we are of doing that. Whereas mm. I wonder if we get at them early on and, you know, try and put them under a bit of pressure whether that could swing the momentum of the tie a little bit in our favor because at the moment it's not with us and they know that they don't have to score to go through yeah. so they might be very conservative themselves so I, I think maybe given that our strength is on being on the front foot maybe that's the way to go about it to try and get into them try and create an early chance and if we score an early goal suddenly the whole tie opens up. Yeah, I mean, there's that whole thing, isn't there, where it, even if we do concede a goal, it doesn't change. It doesn't change yeah. the tie. So if we go 1-0 down, it makes, not that it makes no difference, but we still have to score. So, yeah, it's it's um, it's a difficult one because defending is not our strong suit. We know that. We know that we're capable of a defensive uh, ricket and uh, you know, I wouldn't put a huge amount of money on us keeping a clean sheet. Yeah. I suppose it depends on their approach as well, because like you say, they don't have to score. And where they are good is closing a game out and making it difficult for opponents to score. We saw it on Thursday with 10 men. If they choose to do that on uh, on Thursday with 11 men, it's going to be even more difficult. They might be a little bit more adventurous, though, given they'll have 11 players on the pitch, unless... 
you know, Costa gets sent off in the eighth minute, which would be an, an amazing thing. We still mm-hmm. face that difficulty that we faced uh, last week where we have to break down uh, an opposition and also the, the the fact that by pushing forward, we do allow them the opportunity to break in behind us. So I suppose you have to be a little bit sensible and a little bit cautious. And if you really, really have to go for it, you do it in the final half an hour or so, I guess. But... <laughs> It yeah, would, I guess so. Yeah, we'll I, wait and see what what Arsene Wenger does. I mean, I, yeah, I think I would favour being on the front foot because, you know, if we score, if we can somehow score twice over there, I know that feels like a huge ask, but it leaves them needing three goals on the night. And I just, I don't know. I think we will score a goal. I think we will score a goal there. Mm. Big, big bold claim, maybe, but I think we will. Yeah, I think we're, we're certainly capable of it. They have a brilliant uh, defensive record at home this season in the league, but they have conceded goals there too. You know, they're not completely invincible. It is that whole thing of a one-off tie where anything can happen. We do have plenty of attacking talent in the team. We've got creativity. You know, there's there's goals in Mkhitaryan, Ramsey, Ozil, Welbeck, Lacazette. Th- those are our goal options. Beyond that, we're a little bit stretched, aren't we, uh, without Aubameyang? So it's going to need those guys to to really play well, but also to be efficient with the chances that we have. I don't know that we're going to get too many chances to score. So when we do get them, we have to make sure that we're clinical. Yeah, we have to hope they fall to the right people and that they can take them this time in a way that they didn't last week. Mm. I mean, this should be quite a straightforward question, but Guna Nick, who's at Nicola Daisy, says, let's have your predicted starting lineup for Thursday. And then they've added, I think Mavropanos had a great game yesterday. I don't know if that means they think Mavropanos might play Thursday, but I, I can't see that myself. No, I can't see that myself. I mean, we've a load of questions on that very thing. For example, um, uh, Mohamed Musa, who's at Deja313VU, says, Would you play Mavropanos on Thursday? Love your podcast, listening from Syria with a big uh, love heart. So, uh, yeah, big love heart back to you. No, I can't see us play Mavropanos on Thursday. There is this tendency, isn't there, when a young player comes in and does well, it's like, hallelujah, we have found the solution to all of our course. problems. Um, I, I remember... I think it's partly as well because of how our senior centre-backs are playing, to be Well, fair. yeah, I don't, I don't blame people for asking the question. Genuinely, I no, don't. No. Um, I don't blame them. But I think, you know, when you're talking about Diego Costa and Antoine Griezmann, as error-prone as Koscielny and Mustafi have been, you've got to go with the experience, I think. You, you know, you have to. You have to. It's not necessarily ideal, but it's the best that we've got for the, uh, for the game in question. So... Um, what was the other question? Oh, the other question was oh, the, the starting, starting lineup. Um, Ospina, uh, Bellerin, Mustafi, Koscielny, Monreal, Xhaka, Ramsey, Ozil, mm. Mikatarian, Welbeck, Aubameyang. And I'm making that lineup on the assumption that. Mikatarian is fit. Just stopping here for a very slight correction. Of course, I meant Lacazette, not Aubameyang, who of course can't play because of UEFA's stupid rules. We now return to normal programming. Arsene yeah, that would be a real blow mm. if he wasn't, wouldn't it? 
He spoke about him picking up a little bit of a knee injury. Um, he so thinks it might be the same problem. I mean, that would be uh, a real, real that, shame. That would be a disaster because even if he wasn't starting, you know, he'd give you something from the bench. So if he is out, he's going to play Wilshire. And I yeah. think even if he is fit, he might play Wilshire just to keep it start. tight. And then when we need something or if we need something later in the game, he's got something on the bench that can make a difference. So yeah. w- what will our attacking options be on the bench? It'll be Mikatarian, yeah, maybe. maybe. Alex Iwobi, who's not necessarily an attacker, but who can do things in the final third. And... Eddie Nketiah, I assume. Eddie Nketiah, maybe Reese Nelson, I suppose. Maybe Reese Nelson, if he wants, you know, somebody who can add something in the wide positions. So it's not, it's not really a game we're going to win with our depth on the bench, I don't think. It's what the first team can do. It's what the team he picks can do. So that's, yeah, that's what I think he'll do. Anything different from your end? No, no, I think that that will be the team. I mean, it's... You know, it's it's quite an attacking team, but I think it needs to be. If Mkhitaryan is fit, I think he should start, personally. Um, I, I think I'd rather get the first hour out of him than the last half hour, yeah. if it's possible. But uh, we'll see. I mean, Jack's had a complete rest this weekend, hasn't he? So he's got to be in contention yeah. to play. Got to yeah. be in Arsene's mind. Mm. Uh, we'll see. Anyway, look, as we said earlier, it's, uh, it's an exciting prospect and... Uh, um, one I think we're all looking forward to, so we'll uh, we'll uh, we'll wait and see how it pans out. So onwards, and James Lowe, who's at Lowey one three three, wants to know how impressed are you with Mislin Tat's signing so far? Aubameyang has hit the ground running yesterday aside, and Mavropanos looked excellent on his debut. Mm, well, I think Aubameyang is not really, although he was a Mislin Tat find in the first instance at Dortmund, he's not the kind of signing we brought Sven in for. Do you know what I mean? I mean, he's a high-profile player. You, yeah. You, you know, you don't need to be a genius to find the Aubameyang that we found at Dortmund. But in terms of Mavropanos, there's some interesting stuff. I think Chris Wheatley from Goal did some interesting pieces kind of digging into the Mavropanos deal and how Mislintat had already told, I think, his Greek club that he intended to make Mavropanos his first signing upon Arsenal before he was even, mm. you know, officially installed in the position. And... He looks really encouraging. I mean, I've been following his progress. I know George Bird's been covering him with the other 23s for Ask Blog. And uh, my brother's actually seen him play a few times. He's always reported back very favourably on him. Uh, One interesting thing, I do wonder if the fact he didn't go out on loan, it was always presented as it was Arsene Wenger's decision to keep him around. But they just mentioned it on Sky yesterday that immediately after he signed, he was included on the bench for the... League Cup game against Chelsea and actually after that point it was illegal to register him with a third club in the same season so I do wonder if it was dark by design or maybe there was a little bit of a, a mess up there I don't know but clearly sticking around helped him because Arsene likes him and he's made a good impression in the squad and I, yeah, yesterday he looked he looked really promising. The Greek boy, the Greek boy, as Arsene Wenger called him. Yeah, yes. look, look. When it when it comes to that thing about him not being able to go out on loan, there's only one man who picks the teams and picks the squad. So if Arsene Wenger included him, um, maybe it was a case of necessity because we didn't mm. have anybody else. Maybe that's what it was, or maybe he felt having seen him in training a few times. Okay, 
it could be useful because who knows what could happen to Kisielny's Achilles. Mustafi could, you know, blah, blah, blah. I mean, where do you think yesterday's team selection? I don't know if we have a question on this, but it's just something that's occurred to me. Hang on a second here till I search my Twitter mentions. Um, Are you going to ask me about Rob Holding? Yeah, yeah. Um, Annabelle, I've got a question on Anna, that. Annabelle yeah. Rackham, who's at Annabelle underscore Rackham, says, why does Wenger never play Rob Holding? I can't understand... What he's done wrong, Jake G, who's at Snake Hips, JG, says, why do you think Holding was dropped or pushed down now? I mean, I think yesterday was as much about giving Mavropanos an opportunity as it was about, in fact, it was more so about that than about dropping Rob Holding. I'm not sure I necessarily see Holding as kind of the victim of Mavropanos playing the game but it is interesting the degree to which he's fallen behind Callum Chambers in the pecking order isn't it I mean Arson seems to have a, a clear preference for Chambers at the moment and uh, it's not something I necessarily share I think it's based on experience as much as anything but yeah, yeah it is curious with Holding who was so excellent let's not forget at the back end of last season and hasn't really been able to replicate that kind of run this year yeah 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 I mean it's uh yeah, I don't quite know what's going on there. I really don't. I wish I had some in- inside info, but um, maybe over the the last couple of games uh, of the Premier League season, we'll we'll see what we'll see what happens. Maybe he'll get a maybe he'll get a look in. Um, I was just going to say, like, it, you never know when you get a new manager to how far back they've sort of been following the team. And if if the new manager's only been watching Arsenal in the last few months, I don't know what sort of impression of Rob Holding he might have coming into the job. I don't know how valuable he'll consider him to be. But if he goes back and watches the previous season, his performances then in that run to the FA Cup final, I think he'll know he's got a real talent on his hand. Hopefully he gets a chance to, to demonstrate that in pre-season. Do you think that a new manager, whoever mm. it might be, Let's say it's Vieira, let's say it's Arteta, let's say it's Jardim. Do you think that manager might consult Arsene Wenger about the squad? Do you, Or is there perhaps, you know, something incumbent on Arsene Wenger when he leaves to, to create some kind of a report about the squad? I mean, is that is that part of his duty or responsibility to sort of, when the new man arrives, he opens up a dossier on the squad... Uh, with with some of Wenger's opinions about the players that are in there, I mean, or is it is it for a new man to make up his own mind based on what he sees on the training ground or what he sees in matches? I mean, it strikes me the more information you have, the better. A, a new manager is perfectly capable of making up his own mind about a player. Let's say Arsene Wenger comes in and says, I think David Ospina, you know, is a world-class goalkeeper and whoever it is goes, well, I don't agree with that. Uh, You know, that's certainly possible, but having as much input as possible about new players, particularly if it's somebody who hasn't been working in the Premier League, hasn't always watched Arsenal week in, week out, um, that might be a useful thing for that man to have. Well, look, I mean, I think if it's uh, Patrick Vieira or Mikel Arteta, I don't doubt that they pick up the phone to Arsene Wenger and have a chat about it. I mean, I guess that's one of the advantages of someone like Mikel Arteta is that he comes in with a working knowledge of the majority of the squad, potentially. Um, Maybe that is not an advantage, though. You know, by the same token, maybe a clean slate is what is required for some of these players. Yeah, yeah, no, I get it. I just was curious. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, I... I think, to be honest, what I expect to happen is that someone like Sven Mislintat will have already formed his opinions about the makeup of the squad. And given that he's going to be the man who remains at Arsenal probably for a sustained period, 
maybe it's him who will become the point of reference for, you know, what do you make mm. of the current squad? Uh, that would make a certain degree of sense. I imagine that Arsene will... He's talking about a clean break for himself in terms of, you know, having some time away from the game. But I think he'll want to leave a clean break too in terms of the job and give the new man free reign. But it is an interesting area though, isn't it? I mean, yeah. it's difficult to know how much knowledge the new man will have of the squad and of their performances when he comes in. Yeah, yeah. Here's a question from Neil oh, Gogoy, who is at goatee underscore of underscore Perez. What a goatee as well. Uh, well, it wasn't really a goatee, it was a stripe, but he did have some good facial hair, Robert Perez. We won't uh, discriminate against his various uh, designer stubblings and everything else. Uh, he says, should Maitland-Niles be starting all the Premier League fixtures in, min- in midfield, given there's not much to achieve? Um, I th- possibly, especially if we go all the way to the European final. Yeah. Uh, if we go out on Thursday, I think I would like to see a pretty strong team, really, in, in what remains, because I think if we do go out, I'll still be keen to see us end on a relative high for Arsene's sake, you know. So I, I, I think a lot depends on that, basically. I think if we're still in Europe and we're still resting players domestically, then I think he should get more chances. If not, Maybe not. What mm. do you think? I agree. It depends. If we're all the way to the final, absolutely play him. Uh, he's done well. He's taken his chances really well this season. I think uh, more than any young player, he's grasped the metal, I guess you would say. He he has performed. He's performed consistently, uh, regardless of where he's played. Um, so I think he deserves the chances to play in, in midfield. If we're keeping players fresh for a final in Leon, absolutely. There's no point risking anybody for what is going to be a hugely important game for, for the club, for the manager, for these players. You know, we, we can err as much on the side of caution as we would like, as, as much as we'd like to, to finish on a high and win a few Premier League games. You know, I would sacrifice the rest of the Premier League games we've got to play if you told me we could win the final in Leon. You know, that's a simple mm. choice. I know it doesn't work like that, um, but, you know, that that would be my outlook on it. I wouldn't want us to take any unnecessary risks with players. Um, I think the manager would want to play them to keep them fresh, uh, you know, just to keep a little bit of the rhythm going. But, you know, ahead of the, the final game of the season, if we're going to, uh, if we're going to Leon on Wednesday and we're playing our final game of the season, is it Saturday or Sunday? I guess it's Sunday, isn't it? Um, Sunday, yeah. Away at Huddersfield, I would be playing, you know, Matt Macy in goal. I'd be playing kids at the back. I, I'd play as many kids as possible for that game. Give them a run out and let 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 the let's see what they can do. Let Maitland Niles continue his his good season. I think he's one who's made real progress. I think he's played his way into the first team squad. Um, or established himself in the first team squad this season. And I'm I'm looking forward to seeing what he can do next under a new manager. So, yep, go for it, I say. Cool. Mm. Um, this question is from John Foster, who's at Super Johnny Foz. And a little bit on the theme of what we spoke about earlier about the transfer budget. He says, if, if, we if. only have 50 million to spend this summer. He said, if twice, and the if. second time was in capitals. So he's made his point there. If we only have 50 million pounds to spend this summer... Would you rather spend that all on either a quality goalkeeper, a quality centre-back, or a quality defensive midfielder? And then he adds, I, th- I like to think a new manager could really get something out of Chambers and Holding, so it would be a goalkeeper or midfielder for me. Mm. 
Um... I mean, the truth is we don't have to spend it all on one player, do we? We may have to try and be a bit smart, do some, some you know, cut price bargain deals in order to fill all those positions. But yeah. if it had to be if it like had one, to be was the majority one, of the budget. I would go for a central midfield player, a top central midfield player, because I feel that's what the team has been missing more than anything else. You know, I look at... Right. I look at our defensive options. They're not great, and I, I'm not saying we don't need investment in there, but we've got Mustafi, we've got Koscielny for what's left of his career, we've got uh, Holding, we've got Chambers, we've got Mavropanos now, who uh, you know we're going to pin all our hopes on um, <laughs> to, to become the next great thing. But, you know, we've got options there. In terms of goalkeeper, yes, we need a goalkeeper. I'm not convinced by Ospina. I'm not necessarily convinced by Petr Cech. Uh, I'd rather keep Cech over Ospina for next season. But there's Matt Macy there. There's Emmy Martinez there. They've got a lot to prove as well, but at least they're there. Right. I don't see the central midfield player who can take us to the next level. And this is quite funny, having just talked about Ainsley Maitland-Niles and how good he's been this season and how he might develop. But I really think that we just need something a, a little bit more in central midfield. We need a bit more experience, a bit more quality. And if I had to choose only one place to spend the money, that's where I would, that's where I would do it. You? Mm, I, th- I think that's a good case. I think I might edge towards centre-half. I know we've got numbers there. But I do worry about the quality. And I, and I guess I'm working on the basis that I hope a new manager might somehow be able to cobble together a midfield out of Shaka, Maitland-Niles, Ramsey that is more functional than what we've had in mm. recent years. I just think if we could buy... You know, I look at the impact that someone like a Virgil van Dijk has had at Liverpool, and I know they still have their frailties defensively, but it, it has made a tremendous difference to them. If we could bring in a, a really commanding centre-half, I think it would it would strengthen the team enormously. So I would edge towards that. But uh, the tricky thing is, it's a good question, because all three positions... Need improvement, don't they? Yeah, they really do. They really do. So uh, I, I suspect, like you, we're going to have, uh, we're going to see smaller money spent in more places rather than big money spent in one place. That's that's where I think we go. Yeah, I think that, you know, you might see some bargain signings. I mean, who knows? They might go back for Johnny Evans. That shit might have sailed, but apparently. <laughs> no! <laughs> we go back every transfer window. James, well, apparently you can. Come on, we're moving into a whole new era here. We're moving into a, like a different era. And we no, I'm not having it. I'm not having Johnny Evans. I'm sorry. We've got to do better than that. We have to. Well, three million quid you can have him for, apparently. I mean, I think that they might do it. If they wanted to do it in January and Sven was part of that, he'll still be on the list come this summer. Was he though? Was Sven really part of that? Is that is that the best that Sven Mislintat can come up with? Is Johnny Evans? Well, so far, he's mainly come up with ringing up his old mates from Dortmund. <laughs> so, I mean, apart from Mavropanos, who's obviously you know the, the best defender in the world. Yeah, isn't there some talk that we're after? Don't Dortmund have another Greek defender? Socrates. I mean, that would be crazy. Yeah, Socrates Papastapathopoulos. Yeah, that guy. Okay, we just call him Socrates. I think, but he. That would be kind of amazing, wouldn't it, if he got another player in from Dortmund? I mean, from what I hear, he's not had the best season necessarily over there, which is partly why he's available for transfer. So I don't know how excited I am about that one. 
And another interesting one there's been a lot of chat about in midfield is uh, Max Mayer. Have you heard any of this talk? About yeah, the yeah, I've heard. It, midfielder? I've, I've heard we've uh, we've been looking at him, but you know only what's only what's been in the press. But mm. you know I'm just I'm just looking at the uh, the Dortmund squad here uh, for this. Seeing who else we might be able to get. <laughs> yeah, who, who else can we get? Um, Julian Weigel. Uh, Oh, I guess all our American listeners would be well and truly after, what's his name, uh, Pulisic. Pulisic, yeah. Yeah, they'd be yeah. well. So, uh, Arsenal midfield next season of uh, Pulisic, Kagawa and Nuri Sayan. That's it. Yeah. Clearly what Sven oh, is going to do. Oh, long last, Nuri Sahin. <laughs> Nuri Sahin. He turned us down famously for Liverpool. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, we'll see. Well, this is going to be fascinating, isn't it, to see what Sven's got up his sleeve. Because um, it is a challenge. It's a big challenge. If it is £50 million... Pounds, and mm. why would they put those numbers out, you know, if it wasn't? I mean, it's not going to make anybody feel good. Uh, then it's a really, really big task and a, a real sort of juggling act to yeah. decide who stays, who goes, and how you're going to balance the score. Mm. All right, one uh, very quick one to finish. Uh, this comes from Taz Gunner, who's Taz underscore Gunner, who's at Taznimor underscore LW. He says, would you rather play a game of Russian roulette with Jose Mourinho or play Truth or Dare with Arsene Wenger? Russian roulette. I'd be prepared to take that risk. (laughs) (laughs) Brilliant. Yeah, you're willing. You're willing uh, yeah. to take. One I mean, with t- my luck, unfortunately, <laughs> Jose lives in that in that game. But uh, yeah, I think you've got to truth mm. or dare with Arsene Wenger. I mean, would be interesting, but yeah, if you've got a fifty-fifty chance of putting Jose out of the game, I think you have got to take it. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I think I go with truth or dare. You know, I'm I'm not good with uh, guns being pointed at my head. It's something I've I've uh, successfully managed to avoid my entire life. Quite deliberately as well. <laughs> deliberately. Yeah. Um, so I think I'd like a bit of truth or dare with Arsene Wenger. You have to wonder how how evil would Arsene Wenger be with the dare? I know. Well, that's the concern. Yeah. And I think it could get quite bad. Yeah. I feel like he's he could have a malicious streak. Well, he's a very competitive man. We know that. Yeah. But still, um, for some of the truth, it might be worth it. Some of the truth nuggets, truth. the truth bombs of Wenger you could get out of him. I'd be willing to take that chance. Fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. I think, well, you do that and I'll do that and we'll see who comes out on top. See you in heaven. I'll, I'll be dead. I'll see you exactly. in heaven. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, look, um, that's it uh, for this particular episode. Thank you as ever for listening. There will be a podcast on Friday at some point, but I'm not quite sure what or when yet because I'll be travelling back from Madrid uh, on Friday so uh, I'll, I'll, I'll cobble something together we'll get something together at some point on Friday hopefully it is a joyous occasion in which we're talking about Arsenal's qualification for the Europa League final we'll keep fingers crossed for that one talk to you on that particular podcast and until then take it easy have a good time in Madrid I'll do my uh, best yeah, speak to you soon bye bye Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. 
Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. 